anyway, uh, Eugene, we, we were reminiscing about that day and that final audition. We'll all always remember it, you know. We always talk about how Gilda Radner sang Zippity Doodah and was so cute. And, right, and, right. And Eugene says, you know, Marty and I celebrated afterwards. He, he says, you must have celebrated when you got... I said, well, not really. I, I was just shocked. I said, what just happened? I wasn't there auditioning. So I was just kind of, you know, whoa, this is life-changing is all I was saying. And it, it, it sure was life-changing. Hi there, and welcome in to a brand new week of Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. You know the incredible Paul Schaefer as the musical director for Late Night with David Letterman and from his years on Saturday Night Live. What you may not know is that Paul and Dave and other members of the show travel to Afghanistan and Iraq every year on Christmas Eve to entertain the troops. We're going to talk about that. We are proud to welcome Paul Schaefer joining us here on Celebrity Salute. Man, I, I seem like, uh, to me, I'm, I'm visiting with an old friend now, uh, band leader extraordinaire, the guy that does it all, Paul Schaefer, is with us here in the National Defense. Paul, how are you? Randy, I'm, I'm great, and it's great to be with you here Man, it's this so, morning. It's so great to see you. You know, I, I mean, obviously huge fan from uh, not just the Letterman Show, but everything that you've done. And, and I'm watching uh, YouTube last night. And I see you interviewing Donald Fagan from Steely oh, yeah. Dan. Right. I guess that was, you know, I, ha- I, I did a series for um, Axis Television where I, where I interviewed uh, rock performers uh, mostly. And, and then we played together, too. I would have two, you know, in his case, right. we had two keyboards. We were playing and um, he was telling stories. I guess he doesn't do too much stuff like that. So it was an honor to have him on my show. He wouldn't sing, though. I said, you know what? I'm not going to sing. Yeah. He said, well, I, I, he said, I need 15 guys to, before I feel comfortable. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll sing your stuff. So I had to sing all his hits. But was, uh, hey, hey, anyway, you, I'm, glad, I'm glad you saw it. You're, you're a great interviewer. Thank you. Well, you know, I, I watched the best guy, David Letterman. I watched him do it every night for 33 years. But, but you do it you so gotta differently. You've got to pick up something. Yeah, you do it so differently, and it's almost kind of a rapid fire. Uh, I, I I was mesmerized by your your interview style. It's so good, and I would encourage people to go to YouTube and find uh, some of these great interviews because uh, I, I mean things about Donald Fagan I never knew. I mean, and it I, I guess uh, you guys have been friends for quite a while, right? Well, you know, it was fu- also funny. He he knows uh, that I'm friendly with Chevy Chase still. From, sure, you know our our friendship started the. 1975, the first uh, season of um, Saturday Night Live. Right. And Fagan just wanted to talk about comedy, it seemed. Yeah. Because he knew Chevy. He had gone to college with Chevy. And this was absolutely true that Chevy was a drummer. He and Walter Becker in Bard College had a a rock band. Chevy was a drummer. And Fagan said, Chevy was a good drummer. I said, oh, you know, stop the pressure. (laughs) I couldn't believe that he had said Chevy could actually play drums, apparently, which I didn't realize before. Anyway, he was talking about comedy and how they all worked for a guy named Ken Shapiro back in the day. Right. Uh, Oh, I can't remember the name of a film, kind of a groundbreaking comedy film they made uh, that Ken Shapiro made. Chevy was in. Anyway, 
we digress. Well, uh, so uh, just to stay with that for just a second, the kind of like the third member of Steely Dan we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, Skunk Baxter, and he was fantastic. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, he is a fantastic guy, and I've been friendly with him since. Sure. Uh, even before, no, yeah, same, around the same time. Met him in the 70s through another guitar player, Elliot Randall, who, who played uh, re- uh, with him on Reeling in the Years. Did you anyway, know, did you know he worked I mean, for the he, de- Department of Defense? Well, yeah, but I'm never sure uh, <laughs> how much you can divulge <laughs> right. when it comes I to know. Jeff Baxter. Right. Uh, all I know is that I <laughs> did a, um, it was a sort of a classified event in itself. Uh, a fundraiser for guys, uh, you know, uh, yeah. um, um, uh, you know, Secret Service, got not Secret Service. The CIA, it was a CIA yeah, event. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this was for families of guys who might get hurt in the line of duty. I was thrilled to right. kind of host a, a battle of the bands. Oh, that's Did you cool. you know that a, a lot of spies have bands <laughs> and are rock musicians? No. I did not turns know that. It turns out to be true. <laughs> it turns out to be true. And somebody had the idea of, um, uh, you know, uh, having a battle of the bands. And I got to be the MC. And Baxter, since the 70s, has been saying, you know, I work for the Department of Defense, you know, and I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and we're sure. What is that court again? C7? Right. Uh, no one believed it. <laughs> but I get to this thing. It's in a, uh, a non-disclosed location. Sure. You know, where, where this big party is going to take place, really, and a fundraiser and, and show. And there he is. First guy I get out of the car, there's Jeff Baxter. He, I said, it's true. <laughs> he, he said, this is my event. I, I thought this up. And I said, I should have known. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of like that with us. He said, you know, there are a lot of things I could, I could tell you. But, uh, uh-huh. I, I but he wouldn't tell. I just finished up the Martin Short memoir. Oh, great. And, you know, he talks uh, extensively about you in that. And I guess you guys are our best buddies. Uh, your wives are friends. Uh, you go out and, and do that. What, what kind of things happen when, when you and Martin Short get together? Um, Marty and I go back even farther than with Chevy and Baxter. Sure. To Canada. You right. know, we're both uh, originally from Canada. Right. Uh, 1972, we were both in a show up there in Toronto. A, a rock musical from the seventies. Godspell. Godspell. Yeah, I want to ask yeah, you. I want to ask you about that real quick. So uh, Marty tells that story in his book, and if I remember correctly, you kind of uh, showed up at Godspell not to audition, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, in, in Toronto, um, this was an open call. Now, anybody with the right age could come to audition for these New Yorkers, right? Who were going to have a company of their Godspell show up in Toronto. Uh, and, uh, everybody was going, anybody in the kind of early twenties, um, Marty and Eugene Levy, Gilda Radner, all the, they all got cast in it. And we're all still, you know, poor Gilda, we lost so many right. years ago and we lost Marty's wife, by the way, about yeah, five, six yeah. years ago, maybe more. Um, uh, anyway, um, I, I had a number of friends auditioning for it, uh, two girls, uh, by the way, uh, you know, uh, in particular, both of them were, were great singers. And I would, would, I used to make 20 bucks for going to an audition with somebody and, you know, playing, accompanying them so yeah. they wouldn't have to use the house pianist. And I accompanied two people, and Stephen Schwartz, the composer, 
he, he's a composer of Wicked now, but right. Gospel was his first show. And he said, he heard the two girls sing and say, I want to talk to the piano player. And he hired me basically that day to <laughs> conduct the show. And all of a sudden I was in show business, you, you know, my first real theatrical job. And you were the musical director. How, how old were you? 22. Oh, wow. Yeah. Steve Schwartz himself, the composer, yeah. he was only about 24, 25 himself. That was, but boy, was he ever poised. Oh, my God. And he knew exactly what he wanted. That was and, uh, pretty uh, heady stuff uh, for a 22-year-old, right? I kind of couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, I saw, you know, Eugene Levy a while ago, another uh, great friend. We're still in touch. Now he's all over the place with his son and that oh, great yeah. show. Uh, yeah. Who, uh, Shit's uh, whose Creek. name we can't even, basically can't say. <laughs> well, no, it's Shit's Creek because yeah. that's a family name. That's right. That's uh, a family. Anyway, uh, Eugene, we, we were reminiscing about that day and that final audition. We'll all always remember it, you know. We always talk about how Gilda Radner sang zippity Doodah" and was so cute. And, <laughs> right, and, right. And Eugene says, you know, Marty and I celebrated afterwards. He, he says, you must have celebrated when you got... I said, well, not really. I, I was just shocked. I said, what just happened? I wasn't there auditioning. So I was just kind of, you know, whoa, this is life-changing is all I was saying. And it it, it sure was life-changing. And it, for the people that only know you from uh, the David Letterman show, it's uh, what an amazing career you had way before you met David Letterman. I mean, Saturday Night Live, one of the uh, original uh, people on Saturday Night Live, and and that was shortly after Godspell, right? Well, yes. Um, you know, after I did Godspell for Stephen Schwartz, he said, I'm going to bring you to New York for, and play for me on Broadway, which he actually did in 74. <laughs> and, um, you know, he got me my first uh, visa, work visa to come into the country. I'm a, proud to be a citizen now. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, you know, I needed a work visa, which he got sure. for me and brought me into New York. And I was here in 1974. And then when it's 1975, I get a call from Howard Shore, a friend of mine, a musician in Canada, said, I'm coming with Lauren Michaels to do a new show called Saturday Night Live, and I'm going to be the musical director. This was Howard Shore. And he says, and I need a piano player. You're already there. And, and before <laughs> I knew it, I was doing Saturday Night Live. They were all very heady and moving really fast. Yeah. So that was 1975, and I was now introduced to television and, and live television. Right. And, Right. Pretty exciting. It, With it, the original, you know, cast with in not only Chevy, but um, Gilda and Gilda, but uh, right. Dan Aykroyd, another Canadian. Yeah. But John what, Belushi. What, what, uh, what's up with Canada? I mean, Lorne Michaels is from Canada also. What's what's yeah, happening? With well, I get asked that a lot. I'll bet. What is it about Canada and the comics, the comic influence? Well, Mike Myers. I, I, I mean, is, you could go down the list, right? All I can, yes, Mike Myers and more recent. All I can say is that uh, it's so cold up there <laughs> that all we can do is you stay home and you watch American TV. Right, right. And I guess maybe you're watching it from a uh, more objective viewpoint. I don't know exactly what it is, or maybe <laughs> that you cherish it even more. Right, right. Uh, I, you know, because it's like a lifeline to, you know. <laughs> For me, anyway, you know, musically, there wasn't much nationally right. happening in Canada. Now it's it's different. At the time, though, you know, you had Gordon Lightfoot and the Guess Who, and that was about it as far as people who extended musically outside of Canada. Well, it, and it was the same for comics at that time. But now, now it's all different. Anyway, that's, you know, 
like the beat. I, I liken it to the Beatles, you know, hearing American rock and roll. Right. It was kind of the same for us in Canada, too. Just ordering the records. It's even more special when you got to order them or tune in, <laughs> at, you know, yeah, right. see a special American. If you can pick up, you know, if you, once you get cable TV and start receiving uh, American yeah. stations, you know, we get, up in Thunder Bay, we would get Marquette, Michigan uh, te- television from there. And, oh, yeah, and Superior, sure, sure. And Duluth, Superior, Wisconsin, uh, excuse me, Minnesota. Who was the big so uh, then we could. The the big famous disc jockey in Detroit uh, was it Dick Purton? Uh, I don't know. I heard of Robin Seymour. Robin Seymour, you guys. Uh, it, uh-huh. Well, in Canada itself, because I've I've been in radio my my whole my whole life. Uh, oh. But I mean, Chum in uh, in Canada. Yes. Uh, C K L W. I think I remember. Those were huge yeah. stations. And I, I mean, Dave Marsden is that? Or yes. You about that? Yeah. Absolutely. Dave Marsden and and he. Uh, I haven't seen him in years, but when he first came on the scene when I was a kid, he was Dave Mickey, screaming, you know, an early screaming <laughs> right, uh, right, rock right. and roll DJ. Boss jock. Influenced by the great Dick Biondi. R- oh, Hip-Hop. sure. Right. Absolutely. I used to be able to hear him. After dark, I could hear WLS. Uh, Jeff Records AM. Landecker. Landecker, yeah. yeah. Before, way before his time was Biondi, though. Yeah, yeah. 1962, probably, 61. Right. And yeah. then Art Roberts. Well, don't get me started on Chicago oh, I, radio. I, oh man, that I, was a lifeline too. That was that was so good. We're talking to Paul Schaefer here. I got to point something out here because I just found this out. This year, this year, uh, you received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Wharton Institute for the Performing Arts in New Jersey. Congratulations! Yeah, I mean, you're, Thank you. you're you're not classically trained. You can't be a part of that, Paul. And a lifetime achievement award. I'm not dead either, but <laughs> um, you know I am classically trained. Just to clear it up. Oh, I'm I sorry. Did take I'm sorry. Piano, but nothing more than piano lessons. I mean, I didn't go to music school. That, that's what I meant. I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't go to college. Uh, uh, and then I ended up, you know, in New York, really competing with people that had degrees in music. I had taken piano lessons, uh, and I could never sight read. I made up for it by with ear training, and I really, yeah. you know, I set up the David Letterman band such that it, we worked a lot by ear a lot, just like rock and rollers do, and you can work faster that way and more spontaneous. Sure, uh, sure. But yeah, I I don't know, you know, it was lovely uh, of the Wharton School, which um, had a lovely evening in my honor, and I got to play with a lot of the kids. That's cool. That evening. Oh man. Yes. I bet that was. And a special I said evening. to myself, man, if I had had training like this, you know, who knows where. <laughs> So, um, tell me about the first time that you met uh, David Letterman, about that first meeting. Yes. Um, uh, you know, first there was a call right after the fifth season of Saturday Night Live was over, and all the original cast was leaving the show, and I, right. too, left the show at that point. Uh, and then I got a call, and David Letterman is doing a morning show live. Um, and they actually offered me that job. And I had just finished SNL and said to myself, you know, how cool could it really be in the morning? And I yeah. passed on it. Right, right. And now David used to like to kid me on the air about it. He said, Paul, oh, you couldn't get up that early. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> Maybe that had something to do with it. Anyway, a couple of years later, you know, that show was still literally uh, – uh, certainly, figuratively, too hip for the room, though, in the oh, morning, yeah. you know, Absolutely. just too. Uh, but I, I thought it was hilarious. Oh, so I did too. I, 
they they called me later, you know, two years later, whatever. Now he's coming back at night, even after Johnny Carson, twelve thirty. And I said, well, that's more like that's it. more you know, like that's, that's more great. that's my time frame. And I came in, and by this point, you know, come in and talk to him, see what happens. You know, uh, they weren't just offering it to me at that point. Right. Uh, so I came in, and it was David and his producer. Now we hit it off right away, and he said. He remembered some of the stuff I did on Saturday Night Live, specifically the when Bill Murray would do his oh, the lounge. Ju- oh, singer. the lounge singer. Yeah, that Whether was great. It was Nick Winters or Nick Summers right. or right. Nick Spring. <laughs> right. And that I would always be on keyboard. And uh, David had an idea that, I, and he was right, that I had something to do with the putting together those sketches with a team of about five other real clever writers. But Billy always knew what songs would be the funniest really Star Wars. <laughs> that was his idea his idea although we collaborated oh, that was great <laughs> so uh, david mentioned that and um and he had a producer who kept saying the same thing well how much lead time do you want that's all he said was how much lead i had no idea what he, what he was talking about <laughs> right. but uh they were saying things interesting things like we can have a four-piece band uh well this is perfect for me because that's what i you know, yeah, no music school, but I sure knew how to do a four-piece rock right, and roll right. band. I, yeah. That's what I'd done all my life. Yes, that sounds great. I found out later that it was because uh, Johnny Carson controlled the time slot and said, you know, you can have a show, you can have a band, but I have a big, big band. You ca- can only have four-piece. <laughs> and that, well, really? per- perfect for yeah, me. right. And, um... And the their main question was, David's question, what kind of band would it be, the four-piece and I was influenced by, very greatly by a bar that I used to go to in Toronto when I was in college. Um, they had live musicians in topless bars at that time. <laughs> and and that was the case with this one club called the Zanzibar on Young Street, Toronto. And on, where on Saturday afternoon, they, they had a very hip sitting-in scene going on. But, you know, ladies dancing with no tops. But on stage, pool... <laughs> guys slipping in behind the Hammond B3 and playing, you know, R&B and jazz instrumentally. And I said that I'd have a band like that, you know, no, no, wait, wait, wait R&B. So you went, I said, David, I do R&B instrumentally. Sorry. You, you went, you went to a topless bar for the music. Uh, no, I can't <laughs> complain, but I read Playboy for the articles. Yeah. That well, true. I, exactly. Me too. Yeah. That I did. But on Sunday <laughs> afternoon, well, you got a little bit of, you could sneak a peek over at the dances, but mainly you were there, mainly you were there for the music, and um, and I said, David, I'd do it like an R and B instrumental, and and Dave said, well, you know what? I've always thought of myself as as the white Wayne Cochran, anyway, or the Wayne Cochran of comedy, something like that. <laughs> Wayne Cochran, a little known regional R and B performer from Miami in That's the sixties, who was known as the White James Brown because he had cotton candy white hair up here. <laughs> And who would have heard of him? But Letterman had. Right, right. That's when I said, I got to work for this guy. That's so cool. And and, and didn't he also tell you that uh, during the show, you just say whatever you want. Say, even in the middle of an interview, if you have something to say, you, you say it. He absolutely said that. How many bosses would say that? Right. Um, yeah. And it may have been. You know, I one night when I said I, I thought I'd overstepped or something and I said, you know, Dave, hey, I'm sorry, I. I jumped in on that line, and and he's that's when he said, "Paul, you can sh- say anything you want at any time." Wow! Uh, he gave me so much confidence that 
I could improvise with them uh, in a way that I couldn't on any other show already. Yeah, I mean, it was just he it, it just was, just a was perfect... so supportive, and of course, him the quickest of all of them, and I think right. all of the hosts would admit it. Yeah, absolutely. That he really showed how it should be done. And uh, but the and chemistry it, between you guys, well, the chemistry between everybody on the show, whether it was Biff or uh, uh, Chris. Uh, um, um, Oh, the, Chris Elliott, Chris Elliott, uh, the great Chris Elliott. The, I, I mean, it's just the guy under the seats. the guy under the seats. I mean, just so many great, great things that that uh, I mean, it was, just, it was just groundbreaking from from day one. And it all went back to David and he wanted he didn't want anything fake. He didn't want to be a p- p- pretend. Let's pretend that Biff was late for work. And and David said, no, we don't pretend that <laughs> he's the stage manager, you know. He's he's on time, whatever it is. <laughs> and with me, he you know, he kept encouraging me. Let's just have a conversation. I would like plan something that I would say, you know, that I would and then I would say it. He would laugh. But afterwards, say, let's just talk, you know, yeah. instead of uh, yeah. knowing what we're going to say, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and he really and, wanted a loose, spontaneous thing. And, and when it, when it looked fakey uh, on the show, it, it was meant to look fakey. Right. I mean, it was. Well, yes. I mean, sometimes there would be a comedy sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's different than, you know, let's pretend that, um, you know, uh, that uh, Joe Jonas is in the neighborhood and just drop by. No, he's never going to do that. (laughs) Right. Right. We booked Joe Jonas on the show. Just call it what it is. Right. Except, you know, Biff is in outer space. Well, and obviously, (laughs) obviously we start reading lines. And and you can always tell if we had lines, you know, we were reading lines. Oh, it was so. uh, It's not that we were trying to read them badly or anything, but you could tell that it was in a sketch end. Have you, uh, when, when is the last time you talked to, uh, to Dave Letterman? Oh, uh, you know, I talked to him regularly oh, do you? and uh, by his, you know, he really, and I'm so flattered by that. He really wanted to keep our friendship going. That's so good afterwards and has, and has come through on that. And we speak all the time yeah. and see each other, uh, not as much as we used to, but, uh, sure. once in a while. We're talking to Paul Schaefer here on the National Defense. I want to talk about some of these uh, great collaborations that you've had musically. I mean, you've worked with just about everybody. We mentioned Donald Fagan, of course. You you worked with a hero of mine, Jeff Healy. I mean, the late, yeah. great Jeff Healy. Oh, my gosh. Another Canadian, right? Yes, yes. Now, I'm, you know, I'm interested that you... Did you do radio up by near the 49th parallel or something? You seem to know a lot about Canadian I'm just, radio I'm, and acts. I'm fast. I, I always wanted to work at Chum. That was always my goal. I never got uh-huh. up there. But uh, Chum, yeah. and then we had Chum FM. You Chum, know, Chum, when I was in right. college, FM progressive right. radio was just coming in. Right, and that's when Dave Mickey, the screaming DJ, <laughs> DJ became Dave Marsden with a very cool yes FM right. voice. Right, funny stuff. You know, you, uh, what were we talking about? We, though? Well, uh, we, we had Billy. Oh, Cr- they, uh, Mr. Jeff Healy. He, Mr. Jeff he was Healy. A blind, he was a blind guitarist. Blind blues And he man. suffered from an affliction that I don't remember, but it eventually killed him. He, right. right. He's no longer with us. But, man, but he played he guitar, play? you know, oh. self-taught, played in his oh. own way, sitting down with the reg- guitar tuned regularly, but on his lap so that he was fingering it more like a steel guitar, except not with a bar, but from above, fingering it here, yeah, playing it here, but playing the blues. And he was a funky, uh, soulful mm. guitarist who, I don't know, maybe because 
we were both Canadians and I was doing Letterman by this point, but I would fly up a couple of times. I went up to do Canada, once to Montreal to, uh, and another time to Toronto to record albums with him. You got him on Letterman One of them a couple of times, right? Had him on a number of times, yeah. I'm in touch with his, still in touch with his drummer and manager. His name was Tom Joseph, I think, who's making a documentary on him. Oh, cool. uh, and he was just—I saw him on YouTube the other day with Ronnie Hawkins, the Canadian uh, rocker. Yeah, sure. We sure. just lost. Uh, and yeah, he would tore down the house, and he—he he was in a big movie called Roadhouse. Oh yeah, that's where you where you can see Jeff Healy. Yeah, absolutely, see him in action internationally. I, I saw him in St. Louis. I saw him perform in St. Louis, and it, and you're right—he uh, he tore down the house. I mean, it yeah, was, yeah, absolutely. and he was so seated, you know, always remained seated, but yeah, he could sure, you know. Oh man! Yeah, he could tear the roof off. It was great, and and I I didn't uh, I I knew that you had hosted uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I didn't realize you well, had, I, you'd I, done it every I, um, year. I don't know if they have hosts. I was the band the band leader. Okay, okay. For all Thirty some years uh, since, doing since the, the inception, band, right? And then sort of lead at the induction dinner. Yeah, yeah. And then sort of leading the jam when when they're in the days when. There was a jam session. Right. I would lead a totally spontaneous jam session at the end. Of <laughs> that would have kind of cool. Ones. You can see a few of those on YouTube. Oh, man. I bet the early bet ones cool. with just everybody on stage. I mean, a one uh, unforgettable one with Dylan and Jagger and George Harrison all, all on stage together. Uh, doing that. Uh, listen uh, listen uh, to what you're saying. They're on stage. I and, know. And you're part of that deal. Wow. Not only that. Wow. Part of it, but some kind of cueing these guys who would take take my cues. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> used to surprise me. It, Play a I, solo it, and a guy actually would. <laughs> uh but yeah, I know. I was I was blessed to be around and play interacted with so many of the important people from yeah. the rock and roll era and Absolutely. you know, those thirty years that David was on and I was on with him. Well, it was I, a I wonderful mean, blessing. And, and, you know, the list goes on. I mean, Robert Plant, Peter Chris, Brian Wilson. I didn't realize that you uh, you did some stuff with uh, Earl Scruggs. Well, one thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> as a piano player, I used to know how to play Foggy Mountain Breakdown on the piano. It's a banjo song. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. And I just learned on the piano. And I, I used to play it occasionally, you know. If I needed a little country cue quickly on Letterman, I'd done a little, I'd just go into it. And I think Earl Scruggs and his wife heard heard it. And when they were doing a tribute album to Earl and a big celebrity-filled version of Foggy Mountain Breakdown, I wow. got the call. Wow. From him personally. Wow. And his wife, both on the phone. Would you play on it? And uh, thrilled to. I couldn't make it to Nashville, so they, they sent... Uh, his son, both of them died. Randy Scruggs was his yeah was his son That's right. who produced that album, yeah. and he came up and put me on it, you know, on an overdub, and then oh, cool. uh, and I don't know why, but died a few years after that too. He was lovely, both of them, just lovely guys. What uh, um, I, I mean, everything from uh, uh, this is the one that that I was floored by. You co-wrote. It's raining men. 
Yes, that was an unusual one, <laughs> for I mean, sure. If you, if anybody had a, who, would, is Paul Schaefer in any way connected to it, its raining? No, there's no way. That's crazy. Starting to get around now. Well, it was in my early days, um, just breaking into the studio scene in in New York, and I worked for a guy named Ron Dante, who uh, was a producer, Barry Manilow's producer, in the early days, first five albums or so. And he, he used to produce other things and use me as an arranger. And uh, an artist named Paul Jabara. Sure. Didn't make it as an artist. But we did a record with him. I arranged Ron producing uh, his record with a one man ain't enough. So, you you know, you can tell the direction this guy was going. <laughs> right, right, right. Paul right. Jabara. A slightly flamboyant chap, but a, a, a genius and hilarious writer uh, who called me up after he won a... a an Oscar for writing uh, Last Dance for Donna Summer. Oh, sure. And he said, you know, I got an idea for Donna, uh, and I want you to write this one with me because I liked your arrangements. Uh, how, what do you think of the title? You know, uh, uh, It's Raining Men. I said, I'll be right over. <laughs> and, you know, and I wrote it with him in in, in this one afternoon. He was all ready wow. to go. He had wow. the title and a lot of the concepts and a lot of the jokes from within it. Sure. Too, you know, and sure. I, he just needed someone to... Put it to music, and that's what I got to do. Oh so that's gosh. how I got in on that. That's on that song. Incredible, and I'm and I'm sure that's part of your uh, memoir, which that that's my that's next on my list. Uh, we'll be here for the rest of our lives, a swinging showbiz saga, and uh, that came out a few years ago. I can't yeah. wait wait to get to that one. And well, uh, it's got all these weird stories. Well, you got. I mean, like who, how who can tell that? Raining man and how my wife absolutely hated the song and. <laughs> Oh, that's really? another whole nother story. All right, uh, we She's do. Got, she doesn't mind it now. <laughs> no, she likes now it now. When the first still check, paying royalties. I was going to say when the first check came in, I bet she started to like it. She started to soften towards <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, Paul, we do a regular thing here uh, with our, with our audience called uh, "Got Your Six. It's six rapid fire questions for Paul Schaefer. You ready? Okay. Okay. Right. Last time you and your wife had a date night. Well. um... I think it was probably, you know, some time ago, but we went to the Ridgefield Playhouse uh, up here nearby where we live. And we all, we do like to see, you know, I can get her out to see concerts and stuff. Right, right. Occasionally. So yeah. uh, uh, I can't quite even remember who we saw last um, up there, but we've seen a lot. They have a lot of great uh, country performers and all these performers at the Ridgefield Playhouse. Did you go to dinner? Yeah, we have dinner over there near nearby. Yeah, like a real date night. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. We have two uh, grown kids, you know. Yeah. Victoria, 29, doing dog rescue full-time in cool. Los Angeles. Oh, that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, her own rescue organization called Pup Culture. And oh, my son, cool. William, is a 23. <clears throat> He's doing a, a post-bachelor program in Boston University right now. Oh, man. So we are empty nesters, and... It's a little easier to get the wife out on a date. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have dogs? We had dogs when when the kids were growing up. Yeah, we don't anymore. We got to be free to run after them. Man. That's true. That's true. California to see them, etc. What what kinds of things are hiding in David Letterman's beard? Oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> I think a lot of um, certain. I don't want to say aggression, but you know, <laughs> all all I can say is that the the more people complain about it and tell they wish he'd cut it, 
the longer it gets. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, who was your favorite host in your time at uh, SNL? Oh, what an interesting question. Favorite host? I don't know. But I remember that uh, Candace Bergen was a favorite of a lot of us. Oh, ours. wow. Um, she was a hostess who would fit in with the cast and become a cast member. Cool. Uh, they were the most fun. And the the um, criteria for hosts at that time was a little looser. Now it's, you know, really the hottest or whoever's got the hottest right. movie coming out. Right. So. Yeah. But then it would be an, an interesting person. What if what if Ron Nesson, the, right. the guy who was a <laughs> yeah. sort of, a, you the, know, the, I can't remember how to describe him. Like, right. Yeah. Well, you know, he was a host one week. Um, I don't know if you would get him anymore. Who should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that is not? Aha, uh -huh. everybody's got a million. Sure. You know, uh, right. Do hey, Dolly Parton's in there. How about that? It moves on. Neil Sedaka sh should be in Neil there. Neil Sedaka uh, is you not. Know, an, oh, you know who I am? An early rock pioneer and a pioneer in overdubbing, he, double tracking. I, I had you no know, idea that he. Uh, te studio techniques, hit after hit, uh, right. associated with Elton John and everything he had going for him. But the hall moves on, you know. It's yeah. got to move on and acknowledge the newer people, et cetera. So that's that's one that I, I certainly I, always regret. I interviewed Don McLean and, ah. and uh, brought up the fact that he was not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he said, you know, it doesn't matter to me. And then he took about 10 minutes to tell me why it didn't matter to him. So yeah, that's another one. Uh, do you honestly like uh, poutine? Uh, I barely know what it is. It's a Canadian <laughs> dessert, isn't it? it was, I, I think I thought it was some kind of gravy and, and, uh, and some other stuff in there. Well, I, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I, I never liked gravy on the fries though. It, there that's was either what, French fries and gravy right, or French fries and, and vinegar, just vinegar on there. Uh, poutine, I think it was before my time. Okay. Or maybe after, after my time. <laughs> after you, uh, tell us one thing about Martin Short that nobody knows. Uh, he sure is an open book. Everybody knows a lot about him. That's and everybody true. talks so much about how kind he is and what a loyal friend he is. Um, maybe his loyalty to, you know, to some of his old friends that you wouldn't, you know, from Toronto, you wouldn't think he'd stayed in touch with, but he's very loyal. Very loyal. Gentleman. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, listen, man, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on. It's been such a pleasure catching up with you. Fun. And uh, thank you so much. It just uh, means a lot. And thank you for all the uh, entertainment over the years. Nice of you to say, Randy. And, um, you know, it's a wonderful th thing you're doing. Uh, members of the armed forces and the veterans, you know, uh, certainly have a soft spot in my heart. You know, one thing people don't know about David Letterman, he took me and a few other people over seas. Christmas, first Christmas, we were at war with Afghanistan. Oh, wow. David and I were over no there idea. with Biff and a few other ah. people uh, being with the troops. And then the next two years in Iraq, Christmas Eve, wow. amazing experiences. But I saw I saw heroism and bravery over there that I couldn't that I never imagined. Well, thank, before. thank you for that, man. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, tell Martin Short he needs to come on his program. I will. I'll tell him what a, what, what a good time I had. All right. Thank you, Paul. Uh, all right. Have all a right. great day. Pleasure. Thank you so much. 
You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.